name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany Ballard. It's great to see you. Uh, today we are ending our series on Job. And for those of you who have been tracking along with us, way to go. You made it through Job. Not a lot of people can say that. Uh, Job's one of those books that we try not to identify with, uh, and we try to avoid reading as if we're going to read it, we're going to be like thrust into the whole experience of Job. And, and for some of us, that's true. You read a book of the Bible, you study it, and then God says, let's apply it real time. And so, uh, and so we stay away from Job. Uh, we, we like uh, stories in the scripture uh, because if you're like me, I like to read the story in the scripture and go, oh yeah, I want to be like David. I want to pick up a stone and slay the giant. We, we like those kind of things, but we stay away from Job because we go, oh yeah, I don't want to be anything like Job. Uh, but the more we uh, try or the more you live, the more you realize that there's going to be times in your life where you're going to relate to Job more often than not. We don't always get to relate to uh, the storybook Bible characters. We don't always get to relate to Esther or Ruth or or David, or even Peter walking on the water, uh, at some point we are going to come across some crisis in our life. At some point we're going to enter some suffering. Uh, and sure, that suffering and that uh, what we go through is going to range drastically. There's no objective standard saying, uh, no, that's not really suffering. You have to have this and that. No, suffering is in the eye of the beholder. It can range from a, a, a loss of a car to a loss of a family member. It ranges from you have a, a, a cold to you have a really bad sickness. And so suffering has this range. And it's, it's not up to me to say you are suffering. This is between you and what you're going through. And we're all going to go through it. What we learned through Job, and I, I hope you picked up on this, is Job wasn't a handbook of what you can read in order to eliminate your suffering. As if it's going to give you like uh, three key points to, to stop what you're going through. That's not what Job is about. But what Job and the rest of Scripture tell us is that we can look at Job in our crisis to get an encouraging perspective that will enable us to endure with hope and peace, and most of all, like Job, to remain faithful. Uh, but we're not limited in, in finding this encouragement to just Scripture. Sure, Scripture is filled with all of these stories, but stories like Job's are written on the lives of the people around us as well. Uh, any person who is in the middle of their crisis and suffering has a story like Job's. You coming out, and, and when you come out on the other side of your story and your time of suffering, your story gives encouragement to somebody who's in the middle of their suffering and crisis. So today I want us to hear three stories. I have stools up here. We're going to have some friends come up. Uh, but they've all been through a time of suffering. They've all been through a time of loss and devastation. And what I've gotten to know about them is they're only going to share maybe one of the times that they've gone through this uh, time of suffering and loss. Each one is different. Each one is at a different phase of their situation. Each one has learned something new about God in the midst of their struggle. So first, we're going to see a story from uh, a friend of mine named Rich Hertz. Rich uh, is very involved in uh, what goes on at Bethany. He sits on the committee that does pastoral licensing, which is our fancy way of saying ordination. And so there's a crew of, of, of council members and attendees who will guide pastors through their time of being ordained. Uh, Rich sits on that board. Uh, Rich's wife is a, a key leader when it comes to world relief. 
uh, World Relief resettles refugees. And just so you know, World Relief is one of our global partners. And World Relief for the past 10 years has helped settle a lot of Ukrainian refugees uh, in, as, they, as they flee uh, to America. And they've done a lot of work with the Ukrainians getting out. And so uh, if you want to know what Bethany's doing, we're leaning into a lot of World Relief stuff because they've already been doing this for 10 or 15 years as they resettle refugees. And so Rich's story is up first, and then we're going to meet my friend Kathy, and then we're going to meet Dan, and you all know Dan, uh, and, and then we're going to close it out, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about you, okay? So if, if the video is ready to go, uh, we'll, we'll see, and what we're going to see here is that people come out on the other side of suffering, and they have a brand new picture of God. So it was Rich's a typical story. Wednesday night for us. We had both finished our Zoom day working at home and it was time to start our small group and the phone rang as as everybody's showing up on the Zoom small group. So he took the call and I looked at, I, I just watched him as he took the call and his face changed and he excused himself and got up and left the room. And he came out a few minutes later from behind the closed door and he looks at the group on the camera and said, I have just been told that I need to get to the emergency room right away and that they're holding a room for me. You know, they told me to go to the emergency room, so went to the emergency room and um, they said, we're gonna have to uh, admit you to the hospital that you have some form of cancer. I've been well my whole life. I've never had any kind of sickness. I've never been on any kind of medications. And they said, you have AML, which stands for acute myeloid leukemia. And so my daughter, uh, one of my daughters said, well, how long does my dad have? And the doctor looked, doctor looked around a little bit, kind of uncomfortable, and she looked back and she said, two months. Those first moments in the car, uh, we, were, we were just thunderstruck, and, and we didn't even know what to make of what was about to happen. So we just held hands as we're driving the first couple of miles, and we just prayed, Lord, we have no idea what's ahead, but you do. And you are going to walk us through that. And, and we trust you. The questions for me were, um, you know, what can I do? What is it that I can do to um, live into this and to fight this and to be faithful? I did also ask how. How can this glorify God? How can this make a difference? A person who's actually going through it, you just have to go through it. You don't have a choice. But for your family, they're, you know, they're not going through it, and so they're worried what's going to happen. The suffering was tough. I lost my job. I lost my insurance. Um, I lost, you know, my health. Couldn't eat. Couldn't move over. Could, I couldn't turn over in the bed. I couldn't get up off a chair. People had to help me off the chair. But suffering wasn't um, something that um, was bad in the sense that I knew that God cared about me and I knew that Christ was there. You know, one of the things that Kim said to me um, going through all this process of, of loss and suffering, one night she said, you know, Rich, God is our provider. And I don't know what it was, but that was such a great message to me because the next day I was meeting with the people in charge of the business I, I worked at and they were concerned of what to do. I said, hey, you know what? Don't worry about me. God's my provider. God will provide for us, and God, God is there. God has really been our provider in ways that, you know, through people and through 
other circumstances and other opportunities that have just been amazing. And that was a great word to me, so thank you for saying that. Second Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat that was just getting ready to get creamed by a bunch of people, and it was really overwhelming, and he didn't know what to do. In fact, the word he uses was he was alarmed that this was going to happen. So he went and stood before God, which is a cool thing because he went and prayed. And I love what God says to him because God said, this isn't your fight. And for me, that resonated so much that this wasn't going to be my fight alone, that I was there as God's you know, servant, and it was his fight, and I could trust him. No matter what the outcome was, I could trust him. And, you know, it's a little bit like Job, right? You know, no matter what happens, if I die, I'll still proclaim God. And then there was a 22-year-old girl in Germany, <laughs> I'm going to cry, who, um, who said, if, if I can save the life of this person that I've been told about, I want to do it. And what I have to do between now and when he gets my cells is I have to make sure that I stay healthy, do all the right things. We don't know her. She doesn't know us. But it was all of those things working together uh, that God used to provide for us. All that blood that you know is being made in me is being made by her stem cells and giving me life. I'm here today because of that. And it reminds me each day that Christ died for us and his blood covers us. Just like her blood gives me life, Christ's blood gives me life each day. You know, one of the things that I've realized through this process is that I'm not sure why people live and why some people die. I think that going through this, I'm so thankful that I took time to get a foundation in understanding my relationship with God and scripture. That helped sustain us. Is your hope in a person who loves you and knows you and sees you? Is your faith in someone that you can trust if that's your basis, then it really doesn't, it, it takes a lot of the sting out of, am I going to survive this or not? Because your hope is in a hope for a beautiful future. Maybe it's a living future and maybe it's an afterlife future. Your faith is, is in someone who can stand up under the weight of that faith. And your belief is that the God of the universe who created me loves me, sees me right here, and, and is with me right here every step of the way. I don't know how long I'm going to be here on earth. It could be uh, this week, it could be next year, it could be 10 years from now. And I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful even more to um, be in the light of Christ, to be in the shadow of his cross. Pretty cool story. Uh, it was pretty, I don't know if you heard that, like he was given a, couple weeks to live and uh, Rich is still going through the, the rebuilding process of his life I, I don't know if it was mentioned here but in one of the, the lines that he had said uh, the, in, in the emails that we got about him is he's, he has to get all of his new childhood shots all over again you know the stuff we get when we're a baby because he's got a brand new bloodstream going through him he went from type A to type O blood type um, and now he's uh, he's a new person inside uh, he's still going through it He's still, I think he hit the one-year mark, uh, and so he's still rebuilding an immune system. So he's not out of it yet, um, but to see his progression, like, hey, we're not alone when we go through this suffering stuff, and God has met him in every single page. I want to introduce, introduce you now to my friend Kathy. Kathy's going to come up. I met Kathy at our prayer gatherings. 
when we first started. She came to the first night, and I didn't know who she was. Uh, but Kathy has joined us. Kathy loves to pray, and it's great. I've had a chance to have coffee with you. You've come to the office and sat with us. Um, but I have a microphone for you. You're not going to sit in. Then I will. I, I would fall off. You'd fall. <laughs> it's a it's a wonder I haven't fallen off either. Uh, but Kathy has a story of her own, and maybe some of you can identify with some of Kathy's. And so, Kathy, uh, tell talk to me about what we were talking about the other day about your seasons of loss and how you saw God. You saw God work yeah. through those. Well, I'm not going to tell my whole story because that would take the whole service and maybe more. But um, but God is, has led me. I, I accepted the Lord when I was uh, about 14 years old at a Billy Graham crusade. So I was just a kid. My sister and I walked down from the top of that uh, stadium in Fresno, California, and down to the ground and, and prayed. And, and um, oh, it was like God just gave me such new life. And I'll never forget it. It's just been such a blessing to me. But I went home, and our father was not a Christian. My mother had died when I was five. And, um, and I, um, when we got home, Dad didn't want to hear anything about it. So I would go places. I would go up in the barn where we had a hayloft, and I would um, pray, and I would read my Bible. And God gave me a life scripture there, and it was, um, now I've forgotten it. <laughs> It's okay. Here's your life scripture. I, I mean, I, yeah, right, right. I will lead you and guide you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding. And I read that, and that was in my old King James Bible. And um, and I thought, well, that that fits me because I had a horse, and my sister and I rode our horses all over the countryside. I mean, that was my life, riding my horse. And so that was just the right scripture for me. Well, God has led me through his word through so many things in my life that I couldn't even begin to tell you all of them. But when my husband passed away, uh, he was 61 and I was 58. And I had cared for him for five years um, after brain surgery. And um, it was a very difficult time in my life. And I thought, what am I going to do? Because even though my husband was not well, I was, I was so lonely without him, so lonely. But God was so good, and his, he says he's going, in Isaiah 54, I read this this week, he says he's a husband to the widow, and that's what he became to me. The Lord has taken care of me. Anything I need, God just brings somebody that has it. My daughter thinks it's hilarious because... She says, Mom, why does this always happen to you? And it's really true. If there's something that happens and I need help, there's somebody there to take care of me. So I just want to praise God for that and, and tell you that Job, what, what is true in Job is also true for us. God will restore, and he will take care of us. And he doesn't let us just um, live in agony all our lives. He wants to set us free. And boy, that's what he's done for me. So I want to give him praise today. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. One of the uh, scriptures, when we were talking on Wednesday, 
at, after the prayer meeting, and, and the scripture that came to mind for you was in Luke 12, 22, and I think it's going to be behind us. It'll be right here if you want to read along. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, or what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, or the crows. Uh, they do not sow or weep. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And something that you had said was God has always taken care of you. Yes. Yes. And, and you've seen it over and over again. Yes. In the midst of, well, you're losing so your husband was so only much. one of the things. Right. And, but it's, it's encouraging to me to have someone like Kathy in our community that has gone through some stuff. And God has been present for, with her for that. So I want to pray, and then Dylan's going to come up and hear his song, and I'm going to pray for you. Oh, you. So God, we thank you for uh, Kathy and her being a part of us. Uh, thank you for her time with, uh, in, in our prayer gatherings where she is a ferocious prayer, uh, and she brings before you uh, the concerns of her family and the concerns of the church and even me personally. And so I thank you for her and the way that you have led her in her times. Uh, the way you've shown up unexpectedly in your, she's never without need. We thank you for that. God, may she be an encouragement to us as we go through ours. As we go through our suffering, may we look at the picture of Kathy on the wall and say, if took care of Kathy, take care of me too. We thank you for this. Would you continue to provide for her uh, in the needs that she has today? And in Jesus' name. I'll walk off with you. All these pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered mended and whole empty handed but not forsaken I've been set free I've been set free
in jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see your life in me. person I want to uh, bring up is uh, my friend Dan. And when you look at Dan, you think, man, he can sing, he can speak, he's good looking. Some guys just get it all. He got it all. And so when God's handing out talents in heaven before we were born, Dan got in line repeatedly. (laughs) Um, And and it's sometimes not fair. And so we could be mad at Dan for a little bit. Uh, but Dan's got a cool story of how God's worked in his life. Uh, he's led worship here a number of times. He and I call it the Cole Family Band. Cause you don't have to wait. I can embarrass you next to me. Uh, the Cole Family Band comes up. Do you know how to use one of these things? Uh, uh, but I'd love for you to hear more about what God has done in Dan's life. Do you want to sit? Sure. Okay. We're not. We're, it's, it's more of just coffee now. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. It's great. So Dan. Uh, you and I were, <laughs> it's awkward, right? You and I were you're, talking. You're making it weird. You're, you're I know. Weird, yeah. I was watching Between Two Ferns way too much this week. And so <laughs> I, I'm going to stop. But uh, tell me, like we were talking earlier just about loss that, that you've gone through and how you've seen God working through it. Yeah. Well, first, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing in your testimony and you setting up Rich and Kim's story. I mean, it's already been a very 
moving and I'm sure emotional morning. And um, so what I had shared with Brad and Brad knows this and some of you do too, because some of you have been in my life for the last several years. I experienced quite a bit of loss in a short amount of time in both of which was sudden loss. So for those that uh, have had perhaps loved ones in your life that have tragically passed away, that's a huge part uh, of my story. Uh, in 2016, my mom died in a car crash, and our family was very much a tight, tight-knit family. Uh, you know, my mom and dad met in middle school and didn't get married in middle school, but uh, shortly after college, as soon as they, they, they could, they got married, and then had an older brother of mine, myself, and then had a younger brother. And um, for my mom, the, the response, as you can imagine, certainly was shock. I, I mean, I can vividly remember when my dad called me, had my two kids in the car with me, and he said, you need to pull over, I've got something to tell you, and he told me. Um, and it was, it was just immense shock and then followed by sadness, you know, grieving. And um, she either fell asleep at the wheel or was putting on makeup. I can imagine both happening, actually, and just veered off the road, and that was it. Um, I'll never know, but that, that's just it. And um, fast forward to 2017, uh, in that time, as you can imagine, my older brother is two years older, my younger brother, who's about 10 years younger, we got closer and tried to rally around my dad, uh, who was certainly grieving. And unfortunately, my older brother in the fall of 2017 uh, died because of a heroin overdose. And this was something that um, he had spent on and off drugs in his 20s, by God's grace, cleaned up, um, got a great job, got married. That was very much of his story in his 30s. He was out here. They, they live on the East Coast. Um, he was out here uh, just three weeks before he died. We had an incredible time. Uncle Matt, you know, had no idea anything was going on. And I, actually, I, I don't know if he was using again or if it was just a one-time thing and it killed him. Um, but that, that was it. And... That left me with shock, as you can imagine. But my mom's, the emotion turns to sadness and then gratitude and joy. And I really mean that. Um, with Matt, this is part the restoration process. It easily goes from sadness to anger to bitterness. Um, I'm angry with him uh, uh, what it's caused to my dad. I get protective. My dad isn't asking that of me, but that's where I go, knowing that my dad just lost his wife. And then I have to bury your oldest son, um, which we were at the same funeral home, by the way, with like the same people two years back to back. Um, I was privileged to be able to do a lot of the planning. My dad just didn't, just didn't want to. I didn't think he wanted to be there, but he was there. And it's just like, we got to stop meeting this way, right? Like, this has got to stop. Um, but I'm also angry with myself because I just didn't know, right? Like, I was texting with my brother the day before. Um, 
talking about football and Seinfeld. I mean, just normal stuff. And um, it's easy for how his life ended to paint the rest of his life and our memories. Because that's not any story that he wanted to write, but it's just the story that's there. Um, So one of the verses that after we had coffee recently I was thinking about is um, this idea of restoration. The first question is, like, do I really want to move on from that anger? Because sometimes that that feels good. Like, it's like a, it's weird to say, but it feels like a, I'm able to, so Coles are really good at stuffing stuff down. I don't know if anybody else's family story, that is our story. But when you deal with loss in this way, like, you got to either deal with it or you really got to work hard to stuff it down because it's right there in front of you. And so the anger that I'll feel with towards my, my brother and towards myself sometimes is easier than really doing the work of allowing God to restore. So let's think of John 5. Uh, I think it's, uh, Jesus goes to Bethesda, the pool there, and there's a man where the first question, he's like, do you really want to get well? You know, do you really want to work through this? And then the restoration piece of Psalm 23 where it's, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and then he restores my soul. And I, I've had to really, I've just had to learn to do that because I'll get, I'll just keep going whenever I start thinking about these things. Because if you've lost somebody, it comes like in waves when you least expect it. I'm watching the Super Bowl, um, and we lived in Cincinnati for a while. Go Bengals, who day? Uh, didn't work out for us, but we're just happy to be there. So, um, and I just start getting emotional thinking about my brother. Like, where did this come from, right? It just, it just kind of comes. And then learning to allow God to, even in those moments, not it be painted with this bitterness that doesn't do any good for anybody, but to be painted with this, um, okay, God, this is the story. I don't understand it, but I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that we were talking at the coffee shop was, uh, in order for God to put things together again, you have to give it to him. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the hardest part for us. And uh, the verse that came to mind after you and I were chatting was, uh, we know this, that God will work all things together for good, for those who love him. Yeah. And it's knowing, like I can know, or I look at my kids, right? They come to me with their broken dinosaur happened this morning. And they know that I can fix it, maybe. Um, or order another one without them knowing. But uh, but they know that I can fix it, but they still have to bring me the dinosaur in order to let me know that it's broken because I can't fix something I don't know is broken. And one of the things I see you walking with is still like, no, this is still broken with me. Uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl story. Like this is this is still another wave. And, and the restoration takes time. It and it's not, not right now. So, Yeah, well, and just knowing that... Um, I've, yeah, you're right. It's about the, the di- I think it's about the trajectory, the direction, not just the moment. Mm-hmm. And am I, do I have disciplines or habits in my life? Um, so you always bring up quiet time. Like, that is crucial. Do I have people in my life that can carry me through it? And, mm-hmm. and some of you are here. I mean, my, chiefly my wife, who, who seriously, like, okay, you got to get out of bed today type of thing. Like, that's, you know, and... Um, just having church community, mm-hmm. you know. 
if you have these guardrails in your life, then you know that the restoration process has to happen. It's a promise. It is an absolute promise. Um, and I would just say two things quickly. Um, one, no matter your relationship, if you can, call your mom. Call your mom. I'm so, so grateful. Somebody said that to me years before she passed. Because, to be honest, a lot of times it's like, I don't have three hours in my day to call my mom. So I'd set time limits, say, Mom, I'm on my way to work. Only got eight minutes. She appreciated it. But call your mom. You will never, ever, 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 ever regret that. My mom's watching right now. Yeah. Hi, 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 Mom. And then the second thing, and I wish I would have learned this with my older brother, but really, if, if if you have anybody in your life, yeah, you're calling her right now, uh, who is, I, I, I can't stress this enough, who you think might be using drugs in any way, it's getting as involved in the middle of the mess as much as you can if you have that report with them. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have done that yeah. with my brother. And I've never said that publicly, but that's something that I really, really mean. Um, without getting on a soapbox... The opioid crisis is insane in our city. It is crazy, and it's destroying our community in a lot of ways. And so if you have anybody that you imagine, anything you can do, I wish I would have been willing to go there rather than just ignorance is bliss, thinking everything was okay. Yeah. And so that, that's part of what I have to work through, right, mm-hmm. just giving that to God. Well, allow me to pray for you, and then we'll talk a little bit more. So, God, we thank you for Dan, and, and we, uh, we know that you are restoring him in process. And so, God, I, I pray that you would uh, comfort Dan in those places where the waves still hit um, and, the, and the broken shards are still, um, still poking at him. Or would, would you um, comfort? Would you guide? Would your presence be... Um, overwhelming in those places. And and Lord, those other places, um, may your spirit work in Dan to give them over to you uh, so that you can fix, that you can restore. We thank you for Dan, the way you've gifted him for our community, uh, the way he gives back so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dan. You know, one of the things that we get confused about with restoration, as we see it in the scriptures, we see it in the Bible, uh, if you look at the end of Job, and if you go to Job 42, uh, at the end of it, we're not going to spend a lot of time there today, but Job gets everything back that he lost. But the problem is, Job gets everything back that he lost within four verses. Right? Okay, Job, Job had ten children that he lost, and he gets blessed with ten more children. That takes longer than four verses. Right? It takes a while for things to get restored. The restoration that God has as you come out of something isn't going to happen overnight. Some places it will. So another question is, do you think Job at the end of his life when he's sitting back looking at his 10 new children is ever going to think about the 10 children that he lost before? No, the scars will always be there. You'll always feel the loss. But the difference that Job has is the perspective that God is able to redeem a broken story. And he doesn't take away the hard places, but he uses the hard spots that we go through in order to bring forth his story and his light. 
restoration that Dan says it only happens when we hand the broken pieces over to God to be restored. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to this pottery, this art of pottery. This is not something that would normally hang out in my house, okay? Uh, it would be broken quickly. Uh, but it's called kintsugi. Have you ever heard of kintsugi? Okay, some of you have, some of you haven't. Uh, kintsugi is a Japanese art of repairing broken things. Uh, and when they repair it, instead of using super glue or gorilla glue, whatever you have, they use gold resin. And it highlights the cracks. Uh, you can't really see it. Maybe you come up afterwards. But this has been dropped and it broke in a few pieces. And, and so the artist put it back together so you can highlight the imperfections. And it adds to what the beauty of this little jar is or this little pot. Uh, it all started when uh, a, a Japanese shogun got something from a ship to him that was broken and he sent it to uh, he sent it back like we all do to get repaired and it came back and it was just stapled together and then he handed it off to a local craftsman and the craftsman in his town put it back together with gold kintsugi is this beautiful statement that restoring broken things and giving them new uh, giving them new life and using the broken pieces in order to create beauty and this idea this this artwork falls well within the area of scripture and our brokenness. If you look in the writings of Paul, he says the weak parts of your life, the broken areas of your life, the vulnerable parts of your life are going to be the ones that tell God's story most. It's almost as if God's light shines through the cracks in our own lives. Because we're all in some way cracked pots, right? We've all been broken. We've all had things in the, that have shattered us. And the shards of our life have all been scattered along the cold floor that after it got dropped. And sometimes the pieces no longer fit together properly. And sometimes the pieces that we lost are never to be found. Our vessel that we have, our body, our mind, our soul, uh, no longer works the way it was designed to. And we're left with broken hearts, cracked and confused soul. And we feel valueless and ashamed and broken. But if you look at the, the art of Kintsugi, what we realize is that God is the ultimate Kintsugi artist. And scripture, when you flip through scripture, is his art gallery. And we see the paintings everywhere. If you flip through scripture, you'll find his masterpieces, right? Uh, first, for the reason to give us hope. Uh, this, is, this is why his gallery is there. Romans 15.4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that you can have the endurance taught in the scriptures, and here's why, and the encouragement they provide that we might have hope. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we see the stories of Job. That's why we see stories of, of Ezekiel, where broken things are made life again. That's why we have other people's stories, because they give us hope. Hope was found in the man in, in Matthew named Jairus, who stood and waited for Jesus to heal his daughter. And while he's waiting to heal his daughter, Jesus gets sidetracked with another woman who needs healing. And as he's waiting there, his daughter dies. And the story he thought was over, that God didn't heal me, Jesus says, no, 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 don't panic, just believe. And in a strange way, we can look at the picture of Jairus and go, our story isn't over just because somebody said it was. We might feel broken, but Jesus says, don't fear, Jarius, just believe. 
Maybe your story is broken by uh, an immense guilt or shame. And, and so you work your way through the gallery of Jesus's teachings and you find yourself uh, at this part where Jesus is drawing in the sand at the foot of a woman who was caught in a trap of adultery. And you think, oh, my life is over, as she was probably thinking there, filled with shame, guilt, regret, like she was a pawn in their game, and she was. But Jesus, instead of writing down everything she did wrong, wrote down, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And so we don't judge ourselves by our pasts, because what we find is that God on the cross looked at Jesus, and he doesn't judge us by our past either. Another picture was, a, uh, Dan alluded to it, the man who laid by the pool of Bethsaida. He didn't know or had no one to help him get into the pool. He was helpless and hopeless. Yet Jesus stands beside him and goes, do you even want to be well? And if you do, stand up. And the man immediately stood up and walked. And, and sometimes I wish we would take Jesus at his word. We're broken. We're at the side of the pool or we're we're standing in the middle of this dirt place and everyone around us is talking to us about how much we've failed. And Jesus looks at us and says, do you want to get well? Then stand up and walk. He wants to forgive you. He wants to put the broken pieces together. He wants to set us free, but we have to do something first. We have to take the pot to him and say, put this back together, please. These pictures aren't some distant stories from a long time ago. These pictures are images that are written down for us, like Paul said, to give us hope. I wonder if you'll be able to see sometime, maybe now, your picture hanging on the wall in Jesus' gallery. What broken area has Jesus put back together with you? Maybe your picture is still being painted. A time where God met you in your crisis. A time where God has taken your ashes and made something beautiful. Because we know this. Paul says that he's confident in this part. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't feel fully restored yet. It's still happening. It takes time. And slowly, very slowly, and surely... The completion will be done. God is restoring. And the goal of all these restore, restoration pictures is, not, is, is to look back in amazement of what God can do for us. What God has done for Job. God forgives. He still forgives. The God who came into the world as a baby still enters our hearts and our lives and says, I can fix that. I want to fix that. We can't restore ourselves. We can try. We can go to all the appointments we want to. We can do all the self-help things we need. And those are great and those are good. But the only one who can put us back together and make it look beautiful is God. And we have to give it to Him. No, you won't be back to what you once were. Full restoration doesn't mean that the lost ones that we have are our husbands and our moms and our wives, they don't come back to life. That's not often what restoration looks like. We have a hope that they will, the resurrection at the end. We have a hope in heaven that I'll see my dad again. You'll see your husband again. You'll see your brother and your mom. We'll see our lost ones. The hope is now that God can use your brokenness and shine through his beauty so the world can see that God puts things back together again and makes them beautiful. He takes our ashes 
and makes beauty from our ashes, as Isaiah says. And so today, there's stories. You have a story. Your artwork is hanging on God's wall. Your portrait's there. I wonder if we can take another moment of just pause and allow, and maybe it's time for you. You've been holding on to this broken pieces in your life. And it's time for you to take them to God and say, God, put it back together. Mend me together. Use your gold resin that is actually the blood of Christ that makes things whole again. And we have communion over here on your left, my right. When you're ready, uh, maybe it's a time for you to walk on over and have a moment between you and God because all the restoration we need happens at the foot of the cross. That's where it begins because that's where the world began to be restored through Christ's death and his resurrection. He is putting the broken things to life. It says it in Colossians that there he is repairing all of the things and he starts with your life first. So would you pray with me? Take some time and don't wait for a bunch of people to get up and go. When you're ready, uh, communion is over there on the table for you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that the promise still stands. You're faithful. Uh, the, the, we can be confident, just like Paul was, that your, your work is not done just because someone said it was. Your work is done when you say it's done. And until you say it's done, it's always been working. We can be confident that when you start something, you don't forget about it halfway through. We can be confident that you use our broken pieces for good. For you work all things together for good. Even the painful parts, all things. All things means all things. So God, we bring you our brokenness, knowing that you use the broken things to shame the well-put-together things. You use our vulnerabilities to strengthen us. And it's in your name we hope for restoration. In Jesus' name.